today. Sing it through one time. Then I want you to get up and uh, greet a couple of people. Are y'all still greeting people in the house? All right. Sing with me. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Last Sunday afternoon, we had a memorial service for my pastor. I worked with him over 50 years. And all this, and it was quite an entrance into glory. And we used to sing this song every Sunday. Love this verse. Oh, you'll notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and this family so dear. When one has a heartache, we all share the tear. We rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. Stand up and fellowship with somebody. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family the family of God. Then another little song that I love to sing just simply says, We'll never say goodbye in glory. I'm having a little clicker trouble here. We'll never say goodbye in glory in the morning over yonder. We'll never say goodbye in glory. We'll never say goodbye up. Now really sing it. We'll never say goodbye in glory in the morning over yonder. We'll never say goodbye in glory. We'll never say goodbye up there. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Old Dr. John Rice wrote that song. And uh, I heard them singing it on the internet. I guess that was a staple with the Sword of the Lord groups. Amen. We'll never say goodbye in glory. Thank you. Be seated. I want to share with you a picture. Last year and part of this year, we did something we'd never done before. I met a lady over in uh, Jamaica. She was born without this arm. And on this finger, she just had one long finger. Loved the Lord. She did her did the youth choir in her church, taught Sunday school, and uh, just whatever came, she was willing to do. Her name is Daphne, and this is the little house that we built for her. She had a little a slab and uh, nothing else but vines growing over the slab. So when I saw her a couple of years ago, God touched my heart to help uh, fix her a home. Now, you know, the Bible says, clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. 
And I, Brother Pastor Rick, I couldn't figure out, now Daphne doesn't have but one hand. How is she going to clap her hands, you know? But you'll see in this little video how she does, okay? Go ahead and move it over there. You can always clap your feet, can't you? Amen. <laughs> now, you ladies do those moves. Be real careful now, okay? Because we're going to sing this song together here in a minute. Stand up with me one more time and let's sing that song, okay? Go to that next slide for me. We're in Jamaica. <clears throat> Simple little song, sing with me. All the way to Calvary he went for me. He went for me. He went for me all the way to calvary he went for me and now i am set free although i had so many many sins jesus took them all away and he pardoned me although i had so many many sins Jesus washed them all away, and he pardoned me. All the way to Calvary, he went for me. He went for me. He went for me. All the way to Calvary, he went for me. And now he sets me free. Sing it again now. Although I had so many, many sins, Jesus washed them all away, and he pardoned me. Although I had so many, many sins, Jesus washed them all away, and he pardoned me. All the way to Calvary, he went for me, he went for me he went for me all the way to calvary he went for me and now he sets me free aren't you glad that's true amen thank you be seated pastor come up here and play this song for us isn't the love of jesus something wonderful i believe it's number 180 in the hymn book if you want to look in there uh, but go to the next slide for me, okay? One of my favorite songs written by John W. Peterson. You all remember this? There will never be a sweeter story, story of the Savior's love divine, love that brought him to the realms of glory. Just to save a sinful soul like mine 
Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? It is to me. Go on over to that next verse for me. I believe we'll need that, all right? Clicking on over one more. There you go. One more time now. All right. Boundless as the universe. Sing it with me. Boundless as the universe around me. Reaching to the Father's soul away. Saving, keeping love it was that found me. That is why my heart can truly say, Oh, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful it is to me? Come share some announcements for us. some announcements to uh, remind you of. Of course, our, for our teenagers, uh, tonight we're going to have uh, a bonfire, cookout, uh, pumpkin carving, and uh, that kind of thing will be here on the property, so that'll start at 6 for our teenagers. And then uh, the ladies' meeting coming up in just a couple days on Tuesday, uh, Bubby's Diner, and that'll be at 6 o'clock for you ladies. If you plan to attend, if you would see my wife, Leslie, she's in the nursery uh, this morning. But if you can uh, talk to her today or just shoot her a text uh, throughout the week, uh, well, today or tomorrow, and uh, let uh, her know uh, that you're coming. That way we can get a good count and reserve tables and that kind of thing.
I tell you what, to be a Baptist, you have to be in pretty good shape, amen, to make all the activities. Uh, we take the offering at the back, and uh, so don't forget that. And I want us to sing, My Jesus, I Love Thee, brother. Rick, yeah, come, come play it for me. All right, and then I'm going to give a little testimony and then sing another song before our preacher preaches today. Do you love him today? I think this is my favorite song. One of the greatest songs ever written. Just sing it unto him this morning. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign my gracious Redeemer my Savior art Thou if ever I love Thee my Jesus tis I love to write my grandsons. I have one little granddaughter, a little, a little uh, text every morning. And I have one boy that always writes me back. Do you all have that with your kids? Some of them really respond to you and some of them, you know, you just have to love them anyway, you know. But he always writes me back and says, Pops, I love you so much. And I know what that means to me. And I know what it means when we tell Jesus that we love him also. Play that next song for me or slide, whatever's in there. I think it's a I think it's a giving slide. Skip that one. And here we go. Think about what it says now, all right? Oh, you're not good enough. There's no way you could be. But that's all right because God never said you had to be. Somebody said you had to earn God's mercy and His love. But you don't have to be good enough. Because Jesus was, you're not good enough. There's no way you could be. But that's all right because God never said you had to be. Somebody said you had to earn God's mercy and His love. You don't have to be good enough because Jesus was. You try and try to measure up but always fail. You give the best that you believe you can. Before you get to climb aboard, your ship has sailed. You're at the sea, you're stranded on the sinking sand. Oh, you're not good enough. There's no way you could be. But that's all right because God never said you had to be. Somebody said you had to earn God's mercy and His love. You don't have to be good enough 
because Jesus was. Somebody said you had to earn God's mercy and his love. But you don't have to be good enough because Jesus was. No, you don't have to be good enough because Jesus was. You don't have to be good enough. Because Jesus was. Amen. I don't know how many of you have ever struggled with that before in your life. Just the fact that there's no way you can be good enough. But Jesus is. In my, in my situation, God just bothered me. I was 20 years old, a student at William Carey College, a Christian college over in Mississippi. But every time I heard the gospel preached, God just bothered me because I knew that even though I wasn't good enough, I knew that he loved me and cared for me. And on Halloween night, it's that trunk or treat night. We didn't have one of those, but there was a lot of decorations around. I stayed after church and talked with a faithful pastor and told him my dilemma. And you know what he said to me? He said, son, you don't have to struggle with that. God loves you. Just invite him into your heart and he'll save you. And that was a long time ago, about 60 years ago, that I trusted the Lord. And every day when I wake up, I realize that he's still there. If you've, if you've struggled with that, and, you know, there's a lot of things that will keep you from telling somebody about that, you know, because maybe you've been in church for years and years and years, and and everybody just knows you don't have any. Share with your pastor or with one of your friends and say, look, I just need to trust him as my Savior. I know I'm not good enough, but I know he is. Isn't that a great little concept song? It really is. Let's go on over to that last song I'm going to sing. And uh, when I sing this, uh, Brother Rick's going to come and uh, share the Word of God with us. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Go ahead. Each step I take, my Savior goes before me, and with his loving hand, he leads the way, and with each breath, I whisper, I adore thee. Oh, what joy to walk with Him each day. Each step I take, I know that He will guide me to higher ground. He ever leads me on Until one day The last step will be taken Each step I take 
just leads me closer home. I trust in God, no matter come what may. For life eternal is in his hand. He holds the key that opens up the way that will lead me to the promised land. Each step I take I know that He will guide me to higher ground. He ever leads me on until someday the last step will be taken. Each step I take just leads me closer home. Each step I take just leads me closer home. Well, thank you, Brother Rick. While you're coming, I want to tell you that my niece, Jan, is here. She lives here in Huntsville. And uh, I'm bringing the same lady around for nearly 60 years. Miss Ann, raise up your hand here, okay? All right, praise the Lord. God bless you, Brother Rick. Brother Price. Thank you, Price. Thank you for your music. Thank you for being here today. It's good to see everybody. Uh, love you, my brother. You're such a faithful servant of God. We had a, a good trip, Brother Daniel. And myself and Paula and Leslie were in uh, the Tennessee area, East Tennessee, for a, a couples conference uh, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I know you would agree that uh, Paula and Leslie needed it, and we were praying that God would speak to them, and uh, we're still praying that God would do a work in their hearts. And uh, anyhow, we had a great time uh, and God, God helped us and had a lot of fun, and just the messages were really good. So appreciate your, your prayers for us while we were gone, and we got back uh, late last night. So, well, in the early evening, shouldn't say real late last night, but we've been traveling for a while, so we're glad to be home. Hope you brought your Bible today. I want you to turn to two places. I want you to locate Psalm 55. And after you do that, I want you to look up Luke chapter 23, those two places, Psalm 55 and Luke 23. And we have been traveling through the seven statements of Jesus that he made when he was on the cross. And today we come to the very last statement that the Lord Jesus Christ made on the earth, the very last thing that he said. One of the... Uh, Wonderful things of the many things that my parents did for my brother and my sister and myself was to familiarize, familiarize, can't say it, familiarize 
us with death. They took us to uh, funerals, and uh, we began to understand the grieving process as best you could. At a very young age, we learned about the suddenness of death and the impact that it had. My mother had a friend. Her name was Jean Brown, and it was her best friend. She was older. She was really like a mentor to my mother and taught her about uh, not just the Word of God, but about being a wife and a mother. And Jean became very sick, and I can remember as a boy when she wasn't getting well and she was getting worse and worse and the, the concern my mom had, and uh, even in the last days of Jean's life. You know, when you're little, you, you can't comprehend all of that. And then finally the day came when uh, Jean, who was a, a believer in Christ, went to heaven and we were informed that she had died, and we went over here, not far from here, on Bob Wallace, over there at Laughlin Funeral Home. And we went in there as a family with some other people from our church. And we went in the, one of those little rooms, and there uh, lay her body, uh, the only thing that could die uh, in this life, her body. And I remember going up there as a boy and, and knew this lady quite well because of my, my mom. And, you know, there's a mystery to that, especially when, when you're young and you look there and, and you see this uh, body, this especially of a precious one that you have known. And when you're young, it, it's even um, kind of a, I don't want to say a morbid interest. I remember uh, when my mom died that uh, one of the grandchildren, older grandchildren, was standing there, and uh, I had my hand on her hand, and uh, they were standing by me and said, uh, could I touch her hand? I said, sure you can. And I, I told her, I said, well, her, her hand is cold, and it's a little bit different, trying to help prepare them for that. But there's a mystery in all that when you've never been around that, and people are afraid of dying. And the Bible is a very honest book. It, it doesn't. It takes things head on. And one of the things that it directs, directs uh, on the front end is death. And it talks about the fear of death. When David was running for his life, and he had enemies chasing him, he talks about this in Psalm fifty-five. Notice in verse four, Psalm fifty-five and verse four, David said, "My heart is sore pained." Within me, as I began to read that, the the word there means almost like he had a panic attack. His heart began to to dance within him. My heart is sore pained within me. Now, notice the expressions, uh, the emotional expressions here of fear and the terrors of death. This man was chasing him, probably Saul and other enemies. The terrors of death are falling upon me. It may not be an enemy, but maybe the enemy of disease, the enemy of old age, or someone you love. The enemy of death is chasing them. The terrors of death are falling upon me. Keep reading, please. Verse 5. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me. Now notice this. And horror hath overwhelmed me. This is the sweet psalmist of Israel. This is a man after God's own heart. And he says, I, I am afraid 
of this thing called death. Now the Bible teaches that God, through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, has dealt with death head on. He experienced death and He defeated death. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 9 and verse 27, It is appointed unto men once to die. The word appointed there, we get the word appointment from it. It means a reservation that is awaiting you. It's a certainty. God knows on the calendar when you're going to die. You can run, you can jog, you can take vitamins, you can guard your diet, etc., etc. But you have an appointment with death. It is appointed unto men once to die. Notice this, but after this, the judgment. You not only have an appointment with death, but you have an appointment with judgment before a holy and a righteous God after death. And I think that's why we're afraid to die, even as Christians. And I think sometimes we know, well, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. But it's the process. We, we, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't know how... How this is going to happen. Uh, you're in the book of Psalms. Flip over there to Psalm 89, just a couple of pages over. Psalm 89, and uh, look at this verse in verse 48. Psalm 89 and verse 48. And it's formed in a question with an obvious answer here. Notice this What man, Psalm 89, 48, what man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Well, there's no man that will live and not see death unless they go to heaven by the rapture. What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? And then the second question, shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Are you going to be able to be delivered from the grave? Well, the answer to that question is no. And I want you to notice at the end of that verse in Psalm 89 and verse 48 is the word Selah. Now, in the Psalms, that is a musical term. It's, it's called a rest. If you don't know music, a rest is a little symbol. And that just means there's no music to be played. It just means silence. And when he uses this... As a, as a term in writing, he means, I want you to stop and I want you to think about that. I want you to contemplate that. And what the writer is saying here, I want you to think about that you will not be delivered from death. What he's saying, I want you to think about your death, your morbidity. And look, we don't like to do that. I, I know some people that are older and they've never been to funerals. They don't like to go. Well, I'm not saying you have to like to go. I don't necessarily like to go. I don't like to think about it. Maybe you don't even want to hear me talk about it today. But the Bible says, Selah, I want you to think about this. In the book of Job, chapter 18 and verse 14, the Bible calls death the king of terrors. The king of terrors. Of all the terrors that you can face, the king of terrors is death. So the fear of death has a, a debilitating effect upon your peace and your joy. It's something that you have to face and something that you have to deal with so that you can have peace in your life. Now this is a message and we're going to get into the text and, 
and I'm going to speak on on this text uh, two times. Uh, Listen carefully. Jesus died so that you don't have to be afraid when you died. That's the idea. Jesus died so that you don't have to be afraid when you died. And every person that's listening to me today, you, you don't have to be afraid in this life of death, hell, and the grave. Because when Jesus died, he died for you, and he was buried, he was buried for you. When he rose again, he rose again for you. Now I want you to notice our text in Luke chapter 23, when Jesus was on the cross. Look at verse 44. This is the last statement, not only that he made on the cross, uh, but the last statement he made on earth. Though he did make some more when he came back and he rose from the dead. But before his Resurrection body. These are the last words he made. Luke 23 and verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a great darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Six hours noon, the ninth hour is 3 p.m. in the afternoon. So from noon till 3 p.m., there was this darkness. And we talked about that. That's when God, uh, the Father, put the burden, our burden of sin upon Jesus, and he became literally our sin substitute, and it was as if God pulled the shades of heaven and turned His back upon His Son. And Jesus fulfilled the punishment of sin on your behalf and my behalf. He died in your place. Verse 45, And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. The book of Matthew says, From the top to the bottom. Josephus said that it was about as thick as a man's hand and that a team of horses, they never tried to do that, but it was so thick that a team of horses couldn't tear it apart. From the top to the bottom. So it was a symbolic that God had, had done that so that man now could go in, not just the priest, into the presence of God. And notice verse 46 And when Jesus had cried, this is a loud voice, with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands, boy, these are precious words, into thy hands I commend, I commend my spirit. Look at these words, church. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. He gave up his ghost. He gave up his spirit. That's the same word. I want to give you one primary thought, and I'll introduce the second thought as I have time, and then we'll finish this, God willing, next week. Now, when I say this first idea, you're going to say, well, that's obvious, but you're going to have to track with me. Here's the first idea I want to give you this morning. Jesus died physically. He died physically. You say, well, preacher, I came to church to hear that. Well, yes. Jesus died physically, and he had to die to pay the penalty of sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. The penalty of sin is death. Remember when God told Adam and Eve that the moment that they Uh, violated his command in Genesis chapter 2 that you will surely die. And they did that, and the moment they did that, they began to die. Now, they didn't drop over dead with a heart attack. 
but they begin to die. Because there's, one, there's more than one type of death. There's physical death and there's spiritual death. Now, physical death, and the word death means separation. Physical death is when your body is separated from your soul and your spirit. Your spirit is that which communicates with God. Your soul is that which communicates with people. Your body communicates with your environment. Physical death is when your when your soul and spirit are separated from your body. You go to a funeral home, and there is a is a body. The body is cold, and the soul and spirit are gone. They're departed. There's a separation. But then there is spiritual death. This is when the soul and spirit are separated from God, or at least the spirit is separated from God. Every person, when they're born, they're born spiritually dead. Here's what this means. They have no desire to fellowship with God. They have no desire to read the Bible. They have no desire to hear church, to go to church and hear the Word of God. They have no desire to sing songs about Jesus. They have no desire to fellowship with God. You know, I was driving into church this morning, and, and boy, the soccer fields were, were filled, and cars were just packed. There wasn't hardly a parking place over there. And I, I remember uh, going to churches, and I may have done it myself, I don't know, but preachers get up and they rail on those people. And we fuss at lost people for behaving like lost people. I remember one of my teachers in, in school, he used to say, uh, lost people are not our enemies, they're victims. And they're victims in this sense of their, of their own condition. People need life. They need Jesus. They need to be saved. They're just behaving according to their own dictates. And they're not going to get saved by, by you condemning them for behaving the way that they love. They need Christ. Now, they need to be aware that where their condition is leading them. But physical death is when the soul and spirit separate from the body. Spiritual death is when my spirit is separated from God. And when Adam and Eve, immediately their spirit died. And that's why when God came looking for them, they hid. And if you're here this morning and you have no desire to walk with God, no desire to communicate with God, no desire to read your Bible, no desire to pray, something's wrong. It may not be that you're backslidden. It may, may be that you've never been born again. You don't know Christ. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 through 23, it says that, In that day many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not? And it gives a list of all these things they've done. And then in verse 23, the Lord said, I never, listen, I never knew you. It doesn't say you backslid. He said, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. We don't have a relationship. The word knowledge. I never knew you. We don't have a relationship. And you don't get born again by joining the church, by being baptized, by signing a card, by being confirmed. You get born again by receiving Christ as your Savior, by trusting Him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And every person in here, when you're born, you're born spiritually dead. You're not spiritually sick. You're spiritually dead. You, you need new life. And then there's eternal death, physical death, spiritual death. Eternal death is when the body, soul, and spirit, all three, are cast into hell forever.
permanently into the lake of fire. Now listen carefully. When Jesus was on the cross, he tasted death on all three levels to be your Savior. He tasted eternal death. That's why in those three hours, God the Father turned his back upon him. Some have said, well, how can, how can God pay an eternal debt, our eternal debt, if hell is forever? How can he pay our eternal debt in those three hours? Because only an eternal God can pay an eternal debt. And he did that. And he suffered an eternal death. He suffered spiritual death. He was separated from God. That's why he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And, and to the point, Jesus died physically. Jesus died a physical death. He died. Now stay with me, listen. The wages of sin is death, separation from God. It includes physical, spiritual, eternal death. And the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, that Christ, listen, Christ died. And that's the penalty. He died for. The word for is a substitutionary word. He died for us. He died in your place. He paid your penalty. And He experienced all, He, full, he experienced the full range of, of separation, the full range of death, physical death, spiritual death, eternal death, when he was on the cross. I want you to take your Bible and look at Hebrews chapter 2, if you would. I want you to underline some things real quickly in Hebrews chapter 2. Very important verse, a very precious verse. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. The theme of the book of Hebrews is Christ is better. Jesus is better. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, the Bible says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, in order that he might suffer for our death, for the suffering of death. He didn't just die, but he suffered. And we talked about this so that you could pray to him. He could understand you. Crowned with glory and honor. That he, now pay attention to this, by the grace of God, should taste death. The word taste there is a metaphor. It has the idea of a personal experience. That the Lord Jesus Christ, through the, through the grace of God, tasted death. And I want you to see this, because there's a teaching going around that Jesus didn't die for everybody. But the Bible says he tasted death for every man. And if you're here this day and you wonder, well, did Jesus die for me? Yes, He died for you. He tasted death for you. He died physically. He died spiritually. He died eternally. And, and, and He experienced eternal death for you. He died physically for you. He had a human body. And He experienced all the limitations and suffering in His life. With that body. He suffered. And on the cross, he suffered physically. And he, he died physically. Now, now listen, stay with me. He literally died. I'm afraid sometimes we're so familiar with the cross, we, we don't think about it. His heart stopped beating. 
His breathing stopped. At one point, his body became cold and rigor mortis set in. And for three days and nights in a, in a cold tomb, his body rested awaiting resurrection. I remember when I was in Bible college, I, I didn't know that some, some screwballs had come up with some ideas. And uh, some liberal theologians came up with this idea. Well, well Jesus... He died, but he didn't raise from the dead. What happened is he really didn't die. Death is just kind of a metaphor. He really didn't die because he, he couldn't be raised from the dead. And, and what he did is he passed out on the cross. And then when he got in that tomb, it was so cold in there. He got cold and he got up. And I don't know why they call it the swoon theory other than he swooned. I'm not sure what that means. And he got up and he, he, and he walked out of the grave. And that's, that's a victorious message. No, he died. He physically, this is part of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Christ died for your sins. And he was buried and he rose again. Listen, you can't be resurrected from the dead if you haven't been dead. Jesus died physically. These Roman soldiers were professional executioners. They knew what they were doing. And I've told you before, they would come up there with their long clubs. And those men sometimes were on, on the crosses for weeks because they died by asphyxiation. They, it, was, it was brutal. They would have to lift themselves up to, to, to breathe. And that's the way they died. They couldn't breathe. Until they, they couldn't lift themselves anymore and they would suffocate. And so they'd take those clubs and they, w- they would break their legs so they couldn't push up anymore and they would suffocate. And so the Bible says in John chapter 19 and verse 32, listen to this. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and the other. Remember, Jesus was in the middle and they had two thieves on each side of him. And they break the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and the soldiers saw that he was dead, already they break not his legs. Now we know there was a prophecy in the book of Psalms that said not a bone would be broken. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. We know it was on on here on its heart side. And forthwith, there came out blood and water. And that was his pericardium. Those of you that know about the heart, there's kind of like a shock absorber that surrounds your heart. And it's got a a blood and kind of a milky substance. And uh, they didn't break his leg, so they they pierced his heart. And out came blood and this, this substance. That's contained in the pericardium. He was dead. That's in John chapter 19. In Mark chapter 15 and verse 44. And Pilate marveled. If he, that is Jesus, were already dead. And calling upon him the centurion. The guy that was overseeing the execution. Pilate asked him whether he had been any while dead. How long has this man been dead? And when he knew it of the centurion. In other words, the centurion said, oh, he's dead. 
he gave the body to Joseph. Remember when Joseph had asked permission to take the body, he gave him his own tomb. And he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. Back in 1998, Ann and Price and myself, we were there together, weren't we, Price? Was that the first time you went, Price? We went to Israel? Yeah, when we went together. And went into that hallowed place. And there's very good evidence that that was it because of the location. I won't go into all of that. Whereof he speaks here. So while his body, listen carefully, Jesus said, I commend unto you my spirit. His body is dead, but his spirit is with his father. Now every, every animal has a soul because the soul is a principle of life. And you have a soul, but animals do not have spirits. Because your spirit is that which communicates with God. And every human being has a spirit, and at death your spirit will go somewhere into eternity. You will either go to heaven to spend bliss and joy with the Father... And those that have gone before you that know Christ, or your spirit one day will be resurrected with your body, and it will be cast, the Bible said, ekbalo is the word, cast by the angels into the lake of fire. Paul even prayed in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, And the very God of peace sanctify you holy, and I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved. Because these three are, your your body contains your soul and your soul contains your spirit. Your spirit's the most sensitive. And some believe that when Jesus died, he went to a place called paradise. Paradise was located in the heart of the earth. Hades was in the heart of the earth. Now, Hades and the lake of fire are separate. The lake of fire is the ultimate destination for lost people. Right now, when an unsaved person dies, they go to hell, but they don't go to the lake of fire. They go to a place that's in the heart of the earth called Hades. But some believe in the Old Testament that when Christians died, they went to a place called paradise, which was not hell. It was not Hades. It was a place called paradise, which we get the word Eden from which is a very beautiful place. It was a very wonderful place. But their thinking is, because some people disagree on this, there's good evidence for it, that because Jesus had not fully paid the price for sin, because the animals were being sacrificed, and the price of of the blood of the Son of God had not been paid for, That Abraham, Isaac, and Job, and all the Old Testament saints, they were going to this place called paradise. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? It's in your text there in Luke 23. Stay in Hebrews. We'll come back there in a moment. But in Luke 23, 43, And Jesus said unto the thief, Verily I say unto you, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And then at the resurrection, after those three days... Jesus was transported to heaven 
And he transported paradise to heaven with him. Now, some people don't like this because they see it as as a form of some other teaching. But let, let me throw some things at you. Matthew twelve forty: As Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, this is what Jesus said. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart, in the heart, in the heart of the earth. Is that literal or symbolic? In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8, Wherefore he saith, when he, speaking of Christ, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. This is quoted from a psalm. And some believe that he's talking about these are those that were there awaiting the resurrection in paradise, a good place, an Edenic place, a, a, a garden. That's what the word means, a beautiful place, a beautiful music, a place like heaven. He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Like he said, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens. I did not fill all things. Some people take Ephesians 4 and say, well, that just means that he came as a man, to be, as God, to become a man. There are different opinions on this. The main thing is that he died. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible says that he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances. That's the debt that we owed, the debt receipt. He blotted that out. That was against us. It was contrary to us. And he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now watch this. And having spoiled. What does that mean? It means to take for oneself that belongs to another. He spoiled it. And who did he spoil? The Satan and his demonic imps. The principalities and powers. And watch what he does. He made a show of them openly. In 1 Peter chapter 3, I think it's in verse 19, it says he preached to the spirits in prison. When did he do that? Well, it could be that he did it in these three days and three nights, especially on, on resurrection. He said, hey, I'm out of here. I conquered you. I, I put my, you, you bruised my heel. I had bruised your head. And I conquered you on the cross, and my Father and the Spirit of holiness have raised me from the dead, and I am spoiling you of all that you have spoiled for my people. And he spoiled the principalities and powers, and he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Watch this, in it, in it, in his death and in his resurrection. Jesus on the cross said, Father, into thy hands... I give, I command, I commit my my spirit. I entrust my spirit to you. And he died physically. Just like your loved ones die. I showed a friend of mine who went to school with my sister this past uh, weekend. He began to weep. He said, I'm sorry about your sister. And we began to talk and I showed him about Eight hours before she passed, I showed him a picture of her. He couldn't hardly look at it. It's not because it's a bad picture. It's not an inappropriate picture. He it was just so tender. He was just so tender about it. He couldn't hardly look at it, and he began to weep. And she was just sleeping. 
She was sleeping. About eight hours later, her spirit left her and her body. As the New Testament called the bodies of believers, they're asleep. Now the soul never sleeps, but the body sleeps. Very personal as the funeral home came to pick up her body and they couldn't navigate the they couldn't navigate with the gurney. They had to bring this little portable thing in there to carry her out. My sister's sons, my nephews, had to carry their mother out. Because the cancer had affected her her liver so much and and in her death her heart had stopped beating for several hours. She had become so yellow in the house and then out in the sun. It was it was terrible. It was terrible. Went up behind her her youngest daughter weeping, put my arms around her. Her mother's body is is just sleeping, but her spirit's with Christ. Some of you have loved ones that are in cemeteries and and their body is sleeping, it's resting. Not their soul, not their spirit. It's resting until resurrection morning, until they can be reunited with the Lord Jesus. For Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, your bodies, that ye sorrow not. He doesn't say don't sorrow. He says sorrow not as others which have no hope. He doesn't say don't weep, but don't weep as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's the gospel. That's what I'm giving you this morning. He died. Even so them also which sleep, there it is again, their bodies. Will God bring with them? And then at the cemetery, a few days later, before the casket was lowered, when my brother-in-law stood there with his hand on top of his wife's casket. And he began to read these words. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep our bodies, because some will be raptured. But we shall all be changed. All of us that know Christ. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The word moment is the word atom. We get the word atom from A-T-O-M, atomic. Twinkling doesn't mean the blink of an eye. It's the amount of time it takes a flash of light to reflect. I think it's like one thirty thousandth of a second. I forget. I didn't write it down. But it's so fast you can't quite measure it. And the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, incorruptible, your body. And your body, we shall be changed, those that know Christ. For this this body, this corruptible, must put on corruption. And this mortal, with all of your headaches and your backaches and your cancers, 
and all of your problems must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death didn't win. Grave didn't win. Death, and he, it's a statement of mocking. He begins to, Paul begins to mock the devil in the grave. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy, thy victory? It's like Paul did in Colossians 2. He, 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 he began to mock the devil and his demons. Hey, we won, but it's not we did. Jesus won. When Jesus died, he didn't go to sleep. He confronted all of the ugliness of death so that we would not have to fear death. You're in Hebrews. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse 14. Hebrews 2, 14. For as much then as the children, speaking of us, are partakers of flesh and blood. That means as we have a body, a human body. Jesus also himself likewise took part of the same. He had a human body. In order that, the word that is a purpose clause, introduces a purpose. That through death, that through Christ's death, he might destroy him. This is the devil that had the power of death. That is the devil. Watch this. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Are you afraid to die today? Melanie, my sister, used to tell me, Rick, I'm not afraid to die. I don't want to leave my kids and my grandkids and my husband. Bill had his birthday. Some of you that have lost spouses and close to you understand this. He had his birthday the other day without his wife, his first one. Some of you know what that's like. It's tough. He said, I'm not afraid to die. I know where I'm going. We used to, we used to, uh, see, I haven't done this and I can't sing. But I've been thinking about it this week. The old Kingsman Quartet used to sing a song. And uh, let me see if I can put the lyrics to it. I like the lyrics. Death is an appointment that we all must face. As a child of God, we just close our eyes and simply fall asleep. Be carried away on angel wings up to heaven's door, where we'll move right into a mansion there to live forevermore. Death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? We do not die, we just move on high to live with Christ the King. Walk on gold, see sights untold, saints of old to sing. Grave, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? There's more to it. I can't sing it good, but I believe every bit of it. 
and the older you get, and some of you are younger, you've lost people. Are you afraid to die? Oh, Ricky Skaggs had a song he would sing. And, are you afraid to die? Don't be afraid to die. In Hebrews chapter 6, I want you to look there with me in closing. Hebrews chapter 6, look at verse 19. Hebrews six nineteen. Which hope, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have as an anchor of the soul. An anchor's on a ship, so he's using a figure of speech here. And we have an anchor for our soul, which is Jesus. He's our hope. He is sure and steadfast, and which entereth into within the veil, that's into the Holy of Holies, when he died. And he was buried and he rose again. And he was, when the veil was split, and he went and he put the blood of the sacrifice, I believe he went into heaven, and he put it in that place there, and it satisfied the wrath of God. Whither, watch, the forerunner is for us entered. That's him. He's our forerunner. What does that mean, the forerunner? I was reading... uh, Erwin Lutzer's comments on this text, and listen to this. In ancient times, a forerunner would help a shipping vessel enter the harbor safely. He would jump from the ship, wade to the harbor, and then fasten the strong rope of the ship to a rock along the shore. I I did some other reading. This was a very dangerous job. In fact, sometimes it wasn't commercial. It was just to help salvage the ship, and some men lost their lives doing this. They would jump from the ship, wade to the harbor, fasten the strong rope of the ship to a rock along the shore. Then by means of a winch, the vessel was brought in. Application. This is the imagery used by the author of Hebrews who views Jesus as the one who has gone to heaven to prepare the way for us as a sure and steadfast anchor. He is our forerunner. And now I love what he writes. Let storms tear our sails to shreds. Let the the floors creak. Let the gusts of winds attempt to blow us off course. But the redeemed shall arrive safely at port. Because each day, we are pulled a notch closer to the harbor by the one that has proved that he is stronger than death. The next time you go into the funeral home or you look down into that lonely grave of somebody that you love, whether it's a friend or a loved one. Oh, listen, listen. Jesus already died and he really died. He died physically, he died spiritually, and he died eternally. And we don't have to be afraid. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to ask you a question this morning. How many would say, preacher, if I were to die right now, I'm 100% sure that I would go to heaven. I know for sure 
that if I were to die, that I would go to heaven. Would you raise your hand if that's you? I know for sure. I know I would. I know I would. Thank you. Put your hands down. I wonder if there's someone here that would say, Rick, I'm not for sure that I would go to heaven. And to be honest with you, I'm a little bit afraid that if I were to die, if my heart were to stop beating today of where I would go, But I want to know that if I were to die, that I would go to heaven. And I would like for you to pray for me. My friend, I won't come to you. I won't embarrass you. I promise you I will not embarrass you. But I would love to have the privilege to pray for you. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and down? Anybody like that? Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. I see you. Anybody else? Thank you for being honest. The Bible says in... Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus died on a cross and he was buried and he rose again for you. And he died for you so that you could have your sins forgiven. You see, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. I'm not a good man, but I'm a forgiven man. And today, God wants to forgive you of your sins. So when you walk out of here, next time someone says, are you 100% sure that you're going to heaven? You can say, yes, I am. Because on that Sunday in October, I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And I'm not afraid of the grave anymore. And if you would like to be saved this morning and trust Christ, I want you to Pray this prayer from your heart to God's heart this morning and mean it. And it's not the prayer that saves you, it's the person to whom you pray. But just pray this prayer. Dear God, I have sinned against you and broken your law. And I admit that. And Lord, I'm sorry about that. But I believe when Jesus died, that he died for me. And I believe when he was buried, he was buried for me. And that when he was risen again from the grave, that he did that for me. And Lord, I I don't want to be afraid to die. I don't want to die one day and face you without Christ in my life. I want to go to heaven. Right now, at this moment, I ask you to be my Savior And to cleanse me from all of my sins and to forgive me, I mean it with all my heart. I take Jesus Christ as my Savior. Save me now. In Jesus' name. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the word saved means to be delivered. It means you can be delivered Not only from hell, but from the fear of death. Nobody's looking but me. I want to ask a question this morning. If you prayed that prayer and you meant that with all of your heart. Nobody's looking but me, but you meant that with all of your heart. Would you slip your hand up? I meant that with all of my heart. Thank you so much. I see that. God bless you. I want you to do me a favor after the service today. If you would just come up and... And shake my hand and say, Brother Rick, I prayed that prayer and I meant that. There's some things I want to give you to help you to grow as a Christian.
to make a difference in your life. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for the message of the gospel. Thank you for the good news. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, how that he has made a difference in our life. Lord, we don't have to be afraid of the grave. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for the fact that you died for us in our place. Thank you for these precious friends that are here, especially for those that prayed to receive Christ today. And I pray that you would encourage them. I pray this week that they would grow and that you would help us to be a blessing to them. Thank you for Brother Price and his family for their being with us and that we'd be an encouragement to them along their way. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.